Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture story. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the next episode of the Global Marketing Show. Um, today, we welcome Barbara Moet, who is going to be fascinating to talk to because she's got a distinguished career in economic development, and she currently runs Grow Your Business for peer-to-peer -peer mentoring for women. And she's got so much international experience. It's going to be fabulous to hear her uh, stories and her input and suggestions and things that might have gone wrong. So welcome, Barbara. It's nice to have you here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here, Wendy. Oh, good. So I have this feeling, and I don't know if it's legit or not, that when women grow businesses, they tend to give back a lot. And I'm curious to hear what you, your thoughts are on this. You know, Wendy, what I'd like to start with, because this is going to go from a, from a, um, uh, a local to a provincial to a national and to an international stage that I went through. So let me just give you about uh, three or four minutes or a little bit more of some background so that I can answer that question effectively. Okay. Um, so my, my journey is this, and I'll try to be very quick. I started as an educator and uh, 15 years of education, and I taught everything from elementary, high school, college, and graduate studies at university in the whole area of career and lifestyle planning. And that was in the late 70s, early 80s. And then what happened, and this is how I kind of got into international, is that there was an economic crash in our province of British Columbia, where I live, where very most of our population was rural, in little isolated communities, just like when I started doing work in the United States, in Nebraska and Oklahoma and North and South Dakota. It was the rural areas that were really suffering from economic crash. And that was in our province of British Columbia, it was the fishing industry, the mining industry, all these industries that, that crashed. And I had been, um, and I had just quit a very lucrative uh, position at the community college. And people said, Moet, get a brain. What are you doing? And I just went, I can't do the commuting anymore. And I'm going to start my own business. And I had no idea what that was going to be, but it was going to be something in consulting, I, in, in human in human relations. Well, what happened then was that I was asked by then the provincial government of the time to put together what could be done to help rural women in particular, women in rural communities. And the interesting thing that happened for me is I was also in a rural area and I was not allowed to run a business out of my home. It was against the regulations. So this was the beginning of home-based business. 
and there were two now, what a change women. now where everybody I know forced to work from home I oh, know my goodness. so I actually did the following what people were doing at that time because they were so uh, it was economic distress just like it's now happening with the COVID so it's sort of like you've got to know you know when you always hear these historians they say look at the history look at what we went through crises sometimes brings opportunities and so what I saw is that there were many women who were running small home-based businesses, whether it was making jams and jellies in their kitchen because they were farmers, whether it was artistic work. And you might see some background, but everything I have in my background, the wooden objects, that they're all, they were all made from home-based businesses at one point, right? I bought from them. Oh, so, so, okay, so we're in the podcast, and so a lot of people can't see. So I see a oh, lot. Oh, that's of right. That's right. Mazes and wooden and, and all my objects. And, and so on top. what I saw, but what I saw was this, and this ties into international and how do we access new markets. These people that were in these rural areas, they were going to craft fairs. Instant, they wanted instant gratification. Will you buy my vase? Will you buy my jams? Will you buy this? Will you? But of course, that's not going to help them grow. So the questions they were asking is, how can we access new markets? Well, it's the banks. They're not giving us money. But when I did my research and when I did my investigation, I went, no, it's not the financials that come first. It's access to new markets that come first. It's access to markets that come first. And it was, it was, it was suddenly, it was like, we've got to put things in place. So, which is that, still a challenge it, for businesses today is how do I access new markets? Exactly. So how did you figure this how out? Can we, so then what happened is, so along with that, how can we access new markets? How can we grow internationally? How do we know if our products or services, right, are what buyers want? How can we, then comes, how can we access financing to start and grow our business? Or how do I diversify? Or how can we encourage multinationals and or governments and or other foreign buyers that rural and small businesses is a safe business transaction? So it was, aha, what do we have to do? So that is in the 80s, I started to take a look at what can be done as a business training and development model. And I always say that I wanted to start with women because most of them were working out of their homes, but wasn't always the case. You need to get, you need to get the whole family involved. It's a family system. And so for me, it was how do we help them, first of all, assess their products and that is when I went, Eureka, it's not just about art. It's about, it's about everything. A business idea is generated. So then we have to take a look at how can, we, how can we then assess it? So first of all, they had to have an entrepreneurial attitude. If they did want to grow and just wanted to continue working in their local market, that's fine. It's not about trying to persuade them. But I was looking at global growth to help the economy. And that is why I was asked by, you know, some of the states I mentioned, Oklahoma, Nebraska, went down to all these states and shared. I didn't charge. I shared our business training model, which included business idea is generated. Then we had to take a look at the products. Well, they have to send them in. We took a look at 
packaging, etc. But I put together always, depending on where I was, and the countries I've worked in, you know, Afghanistan, Africa, Southeast Asia, didn't matter, Europe, it doesn't matter. We got asked, we started locally. And I always encourage that. You start at your local market. Then we grew regionally. Then we grew nationally. Then we grew internationally. So for me, it doesn't mean that everybody goes through these steps, but I wanted to make sure that I did because I didn't want to uh, leap before I could go from one stage to another. And so, so we you became, had, so, so, so you're working with people yeah. who are working out of their homes and they're going to craft, craft fairs to try to sell their wares. And you're Initially, telling them, yes. yeah, you need to, to grow locally. So what could they do beyond? And that's different now. Now, if you're advising companies, you've got to get on the internet. And so there's, that is correct. So it's kind of but different. It is different, but it's still the same because they still have to access entrepreneurial training. They still have to figure out what are the steps needed as it relates to markets such as, you know, it's everything from commitment. First of all, do you have the time to commit to actually taking your business to the next global, to the next level, which might be the global level? And what is their, what, what are they promising? Are they going to change their product? How can they change their product? What do they have to do to change their product or services? Then it ties into everything such as, you know, the communication part. Oh, I need to learn, and this is the entrepreneurial training, I need to learn about contracts, whether it's verbal, written, third-party verification, website, transactions, transitions, so translation, sorry, and transitions. And that's where, yes, it is virtual now, which could be easier or harder because sometimes I still believe that it's the face-to-face. -face. So if I'm a smaller business and I'm listening to this right now, I'm getting a little overwhelmed because there's so many I steps know. that I need to consider. So how do you boil it down? Because that's what you're doing now with your company is to help businesses. Right with grow your business, GRO, right. your biz. How do you boil it down to simplify that for them? So first of all, I'll say to them, look, uh, doing business globally can have a very exciting and exotic appeal, but in truth, it is very hard work. So are you committed? That comes back into the time and the commitment. It is not an environment when one, where one size fits all because each country, the nuances of each country are numerous, whether it's cultural, legal, financial, social, transactional, or otherwise. So you really have to take a look. What are the, that's why I said commitment comes first. These are the lessons I learned, right? Am I ready? Do I have the time? Do I have the perspectives? What am I promising? Do I understand about contracts? So when you go back to asking me what I do now, grow your biz is exactly what the words say. Grow your biz. If you want, and it's okay. You just have to tell me what kind of growth do you want? Is it, is it to start nationally, locally? Is it that you want to improve your services because you want to reach more businesses that need your accounting services? So this applies to services too. Right. But the point, but the point is, is that, you need to take a look at your own, cha the challenges will include 
investigation and research on currency, terms of contract, your work ethic, who's in your office, who's doing the work, even if it's virtual, and introductions from trusted advisors. Never forget the introductions. And this is where the trusted advisors come in. So when you say, yeah, it's different now, it's on website, but even virtually, you need to have, you need to have somebody saying, yes, because they'll check on you. Yes, I've done business with this person before. I've done business with Wendy. She really knows what she's talking about. I've done, right? You mm -hmm. want to have, so that's the challenges. So commitment, communication, challenges. Then you go through and say, what are the, dip, what do I need to know about that country? And we certainly see the changes that have happened now in places like China, right? Uh, not, you know, lots of people were doing work in China to begin with. Or so hang on a countries. second before we get into countries. So you've given us a whole list of things okay. that somebody would go down. Can you talk about one of your clients that came in and had a vision to go international and how you work them through that list? Uh, do you want to start with the U.S. or another country? <laughs> Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Client, okay. I'm a little PR. So, you can name them. So one of the things that we do in our in our in our advisory boards, and I do not do one to one consulting anymore. I can't. It's just too much. So now what we do is we feel that peers learn best from each other. So one example was I won't mention the actual name, but I'll give the initials B R D, and um, it was going through this recession part where economics was and, and, and she had a service and um, she uh, said I just can't I can't afford I can't afford to meet with the client now this is when it was before COVID right and um, it was you can't do everything just by uh, by talking on the phone you've I don't care if you use your visa card or whatever it is you have to do you've got to get down and be in front of those three clients that you're trying to close the deal on. So she and took where this person based and where was, where were the clients she was based in Ontario and she was going to go to, uh, in the States to actually was Philadelphia. Anyway, the, the point here is that just by being, by taking the time to show her interest, and this is where the commitment comes in. How serious is this company? How serious are they with the promises that they're making me? I want to know more about them. So she did, in fact, she put it on her card. She spent $5,000 on her card. She went down there. She met with the clients. She did her follow-up. It turned into a $12 million contract. Jeez. I'm saying you have to be committed. Right. Again, I can't mention the names, but I have, we helped in Canada alone, just through our uniquely programs, which was started with uniquely BC, then it turned uniquely Alberta, then it was uniquely prairies, then it was uniquely Ontario, then it was uniquely Canada. Then it was like, then we went, then we got asked to go to Slovenia, then we got asked to do Chile. So we have these uniquely. And I am, have to say to you that in Canada alone, we helped 12,000 beginning businesses who were just home-based businesses turn into sometimes it did work for them and other times they turned into they were making initially less than five thousand dollars a year 
to over within three years, over 250,000 and many of them went into the millions. So it is possible, but it is work. And that's why I always say, you're not just gonna be um, a service overnight. You are going to, you know, you're not just gonna be, a, uh, you know, make a lot of money overnight. It takes time. It takes time. And our biggest market is still the US. So why not start with the US and vice versa, right? So it's so it's, interesting it's because, you know, a lot of the people that we've had on here are based in the U.S. So when they're talking about going international, they're talking about going to Canada and other countries. So, you know, it's interesting to absolutely. hear that you're, you're in Canada. So your first market, just like a lot of companies in the U.S., is to just go to that, that close neighboring country. Yes. And that's where I do the opposite, though, because I worked for, for, nine, from, for nine years I worked with the state of Virginia as part of their Virginia uh, development and export program. And I was one of their leaders in bringing U.S. companies. We'd always bring 11 or 12 of them. And I would do my homework on every of them. And I would do a matchmaking for them. And I worked very close. Like usually it's the, U it's the U.S. Um, uh, U.S. Council General that does that work. So at first they were thinking, why is it? why is a Canadian entrepreneur doing this matchmaking? We're supposed to be doing that. And, but, but, but I built the relationship. And so then I would do a hosting at the U S I mean, it was really, I did that and started, I got asked to do that in 204, 205, 206 every year. Right. And in, and in some cases it was like, well, this is never going to happen. And one of my, uh, one of the people that was working with me, my two daughters worked with me for 16 years and one of them, looked after our home business report magazine and the other one worked in the trade shows. And uh, she was so good at selling and marketing. She made one company uh, from the, from Virginia uh, win a million dollar con contract in four days. Oh and my gosh. Said, can, we hire you? can we hire you? Uh, <laughs> and it was like, no, we can't, you can't hire us personally. We go only through Virginia. So it is what I'm saying to you is that it is true. We are our closest part. We're, we're the closest partners. We're, yes. we're part of NORAD, which is the, you know, I mean, I can go on for hours on this topic, but it's, my point is, is that, yeah, we are the closest partners. So why not help each other grow? So when they talk about nationalism and, you know, buy America, buy Canadian, we get that, but we still need each other. We still right. need each other and it's together. Right. So, so I just, and those are the skills I use. So my first market was, as I said, as soon as people heard about what I was doing in Canada to help during the economic crisis, I got asked to speak in the states. First it was, I think it was first Nebraska, then it was Oklahoma, then it was North Dakota. And then, and then I brought the North and South Dakota people up here to Back actually to see Canada. our process. Yeah. <laughs> but I went to see our process because I was saying, no, you could help. Just take our model, take our model and make it happen. And it's all about, and we called it the business development and training model for SMEs to access the global marketplace. And it was a consistent pattern of a business idea is generated. Then the producer sends in either visually or in, per, in real. And then we do the assessment of the products and we give them information on your design, your workmanship, your saleability, your promotional material. And we give them a written, we gave them a written evaluation of their product or their service. 
And then we did, did the increased business skills. How do you increase your professionalism? No, you can't put this in a, you can't send it to the client in a garbage bag. You can't send it. I mean, everything from down to the basics. So it's a review of everything you're doing. Um, what are the product standards in that country? And what is your understanding of that global market? What are the marketing tips and ideas I can give to you? And then we always did everything from, is your pricing right? Is your, so it's, you know, design, workmanship, saleability. Do you understand the difference between wholesale and retail prices if it's a product? Or do you understand what a contract is, etc.? So we ask a lot of information. And that's what happens in these advisory boards is peers learn from each other. And they might say, yeah, when I tried to go to Chile, oh, I didn't have, I did, I thought I'd take, I thought I, you know, I, I did a little pre-course on, on translation and, and speaking, but I didn't pick up the nuances of that. I needed to hire somebody in the country. So it could be everything from that, um, Wendy, that is, that is really, you have to understand the rules and regulations of what happens in that country. And you need to know the whole thing with respect to currency exchange rate, even with the states, right? How do the, how do the Americans, and I would say this, the Americans want to see your Canadian prices in U.S. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. and Canadians want to see the prices in Canadian dollars because it fluctuates so much. So just give it to us. Yes, you might lose a little bit here and a little bit there, but you want to make it clear for the client that you're trying to sell to. Okay, so, so this is fascinating to me because this is anybody who has an at-home business right now, it's really taking the blinders off and saying, here's the process that you go to and you can grow your 5,000 business, uh, you know, revenue, $5,000 revenue business to over a million dollars. So you, you walked us through all the, the, the parts that somebody would have to go to to make sure that they're ready. And early in a little bit ago, you were talking about what countries do I enter? So what's the thinking around that? I know, and I guess I did it in a different way. Um, the countries I went to were the ones that were asking me to go to. So I was oh. a little bit, it, right? So what happened is because I was the first one in North America to run, and this was in 1992, charting the future of home-based business. So I was the guru in home-based businesses in Canada. And so I was trying to help all these smaller businesses that were in rural areas. Um, and so somebody heard me speak in Canada at a national conference that were, they were in Slovenia. So all of a sudden at the end of the session, I got, somebody came up to me and said, will you come to Slovenia? And I looked at him and I went, I don't even know where Slovenia is. <laughs> now I do because, now you because do. Your, first lady, your last first lady was from Slovenia, right? And that was in 1999. And so, so I am just saying that most of the time I got asked to go to these countries. So let's pretend that it's different. We were the first company in 2003 to be asked by the UN United Nations Development Program to go into Afghanistan in June 2003. And, and huh. it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. 
And, and so was this like, was you were going in to teach the businesses, the women owned, women owned small businesses, home based businesses on how to do it. Okay. Well, whether they were called women home based businesses or not, they were small. They were women business owners. We even helped set up the Women's Economic Development Council, and this is in two hundred three, June two thousand and three. And part of okay, so I always pick my team. My team is really important. I'm not trying to. Um, in this case, it's a lot of, as you can respect, it's a lot of arts and crafts, right? It's a lot of artwork in Afghanistan, the traditional weaving, all the beautiful things that they make. So I always chose a team of a, a selection of adjudication specialists. At that time, it was uh, Faye and Brent, I'll just name them all. It was uh, somebody from the Toronto Guild art shop. It was somebody from Jimmy Pattison's group here in Canada. And these are people that worked with me for a long time. Um, a, a beautiful woman by Anu Agarwal, from, who's in Texas, but originally from um, India. And the uh, fourth panelist that we brought was, I built a relationship with uh, Robert Redford's Sundance catalog. And um, one of the people that I wanted to invite, and he had the Sundance stu stu uh, stores at that time. One was in Seattle. And I was always go to it, and I would see these beautiful objects. And I thought, well, I wonder who's designing this hmm. work. This is really good work. So I picked up the phone, and I phoned Brent Beck, who I found out was a general manager for Robert Redford and a partner from 1965, initially, from Utah, right? And I said, you don't know me. I'm from Canada, right? You got to have guts. You have to have, what's the word? Hootspah? You have to have, <laughs> right? I don't know, but it was like, and so we built a relationship and his wife, Faye Beck, loved what I was doing. So she came with us to Afghanistan. So it was like Brent and Faye both came to, with us to Slovenia. And, um, and it was at the time that Robert Redford and Brad Pitt were filming in, in um, Morocco. And Brad, Brent would say, I've got to go and talk to, and he would tell Robert Redford about what we were doing. And he goes, oh, there's so many products in Morocco. She, you guys should come down here. It was like, didn't get the concept that we were actually being invited to countries to help pr provide content to these products. And what was so interesting right, so wait, is I'm that. Curious, hold that thought. And so I'm curious, because you mentioned earlier in Canada and then some of the Western uh, farming agriculture, you mentioned like jams and vases or vases, depending yes. on where you live. Yes. Um, and then in Afghanistan, you had more arts and crafts and weaving. And so what other kind of, I mean, was there overlap of things or did it by country, was it very different? What kind of businesses were you working with? In those, in uh, it, it would vary. It would vary, right? So in most of the businesses that when we went to different countries like Chile, Slovenia, et cetera, it was to take a look at their everything from what they were producing, whether it was pottery, whether it was a whole line of dishware, whether it was furniture, whether it was objects, it would depend. So, but it was always an adjudication of their products. In Canada, we did the services. So we did technology, we did, you know, computer software. You, yeah, so that was a different type. So you always had to pick. So as, as the owner, me, I had to choose who do I want on this adjudication committee? 
Who do so I want? You were really looking at what companies you had in the room as to who you'd bring in as the adjudication Correct. panel, because they'd be. The but most I would have helpful. to. But I would have to know in advance, right? right? Before I brought right. a team to a country, I need to know what. So whoever hired me in the case of Slovenia, it was the it was the minister of small business there, and and so I had to decide. Um, by asking a lot of review research, who do I want to bring there? And I always would choose somebody local too, because we don't know the culture, right? right? As much as they do. So on our team of adjudicators, you always had to choose somebody local. So that was my preliminary research. And you always have to do this. As an owner of a company, you better go to that place before you start doing business there. And during COVID, that's going to be hard to do, but you better find a way to do it or put yourself on hold to go to that country. Like you want to be on the ground first, or you want to have a very good representative. You need those nuances ahead of time. Those ones that I talked about, such as, you know, you're not just going to read, you're going to find out what are the cultural differences? What are the legal, the financial, the social, like, what are they? Right. You better know them. So, right. So you're talking local, you're talking culture, and you mentioned language and translation earlier. What were yeah. some of the challenges that people, uh, the business owners ran into? And how did they handle them? Uh, I, uh, I think the biggest challenge was getting the trust of that country and the local, the, where you're trying to do business. That that's why I said the local trusted advisors are really important because I think that, you know, you're paying them and you want to know, um, I, I mean, it would be everything from, from it, it, it is really survival in a new country and that you have to take, there's always some chaos that happens. There will be personality chaos. There will be other things that'll happen. So you just need to be able to be patient and you need to be able to say, what do I need? What do I need? What am I not getting here? So it's a working knowledge. It's a working knowledge of everything, whether it's their banking industry, whether it's their cultural, what the, what the nuanced differences are in their culture. And it's like, sometimes we may not appreciate something in our own country. And, you know, they're really, they're, it's their biggest seller. Well, how do, we, how do we change that design so it fits here in our country, where, wherever we want to sell it? So I'm, I'm not sure I'm answering your question correctly, but I think it's, it's, it's all, it's the same things. My challenges were the terms of the contract, because sometimes if we say this will happen in one year and it doesn't, you need to make sure that you put in that, uh, that extra bit of time to find out what are the conditions of the contract? What happens if there is a pandemic? What happens if their country yeah. goes into war? What happens if, right? So that's one. The work ethic is different. The work ethic is different. Ah, this is a good one. I will say this was one of the challenges. So when we were working in India and Bangladesh, uh, there were examples of beautiful products were coming out of there. And I'd go into the place where they were making them and uh, the workers were bare feet and 
that was a danger signal signal for me. And and so then I talked to the local person to say, hey, I understand this is normal. I would be worried if I brought this product back that there could be somebody that reports this. And so then I look like the bad guy. How can we mitigate this problem? Mm-hmm. What can we do? So it might be something like that. Um, the other one that I was working in India with, um, it was a travel problem for the workers to get there along with the caring of their children. So what the, what the owner in the Indian company did is they made a very pleasant change by bringing in, um, let, allowing the parents, the mothers to bring in the children and feed them lunch in a nice setting lunch and daycare was offered. Well, these are the changes that an outsider like my team might suggest, but you just don't try to change it immediately. You make sure that it's done in in such a way that they can adjust. Now, a lot of these things, remember, I was doing this work in the late 80s and 90s. 207 is when I stopped. 207, when I was asked to go to Pakistan, and it was going to be in Karachi, and I was told it'll be safe, it'll be secure, all of these things, right, that were given to me. And I wanted to go. I really did want to do this program there. And my two daughters, who now were married, because they got married in 203 and 204, and they, let, they said, we don't want to take over the companies. It's like, we don't want to be a publisher of a magazine. Anyway, they said to me, Mom, please don't go. And it was just after the time in Pakistan where that woman was stoned to death mm. and they said, mom, they surprised, they said, mom, you're going to be a grandma. Uh, please don't go. So that was the end of my danger countries. When I call danger countries, the countries that were going through unrest. Right. So I, I only went the once to Afghanistan in 203. I, you know, I stopped Rwanda, Uganda. I didn't go to these countries anymore. So when you went to those countries to train, were you doing it in English or how did you train the women? Thank you for asking. Great. That's the translations. I always had a translator. When we went to Afghanistan, I don't know Pashto or, 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 uh, you know, Farsi. I did not know these. Yeah, we didn't know. So of course you always have to have. That's why I said you've got to understand that you're going to hire local people too. That's a must. Whether it's to check on the production of a product, whether it's to translate your consulting work, whether, I mean, I went to these countries when it wasn't, like everybody does international now, right? Now everybody's into aids to artists. I mean, it's just changed so much. Home-based businesses now. Now you're we were we had to change all the laws and regulations in Canada to allow it, and now we're told to work out of our homes. The irony of it all. <laughs> it we sure had the first magazine, Home Business Report, working for people working from home. We sold that in two of the three. I mean, it was like passe, right? Uh, I mean, I went all. all so there was the no, talking. yeah, you weren't teaching people how to do internet marketing or selling their products on there. You were giving them just. How do you grow a business and what do you need to think about it to scale it from your home? So, so you had an interpreter that would help you present the training, like the, the verbal part of it. And then did you translate your written materials? Because interpretation is spoken and translation is written. 
Correct. We did both. We did. Uh, we did both. I left it up to them to. I. I mean, you can never be sure what they're translating, um, other than, you know, they were pretty. They were highly recommended to us, so I trusted that they understood. But that is a really great question that can go into this, and this happened in Slovenia, where <clears throat> sometimes, and then it was a lesson I learned, is that when you ask. Uh, uh, when you're in a different country and you might say to the group that you're trying to train or do part of your team and you'll say, do you understand? And they'll go, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Doesn't mean that. Yes, I understand all. Yes, yes, yes. Means yes, I heard you. And that is a real, that was a, that was a lesson I learned, but they said yes to me. All they meant Barb was yes, they heard you not. Yes. They understand you. Right, right. Uh -huh. It was such a, it was so simple, yet it was like, wow, communication. And we might get that with our own uh, children, right? <laughs> yes, mom, I heard you. Or yes, mom. But yes, mom means just I heard you. It doesn't mean to say that I understand that I have to clean my bedroom. <laughs> or I mean, that I'm going to do it. <laughs> exactly, right? And it was like, Oh my God, but didn't we just talk about this yesterday? This will be something like in, in another country. Did I not explain the process we were going through yesterday? But they didn't do it. They just heard it. They heard it or also um, timelines can be different too. You exactly, know, expectations, right? you know, of when things need to be done or if there's questions, how you go about answering questions. There's a whole lot. You brought up a good point too of translation. How do I know if it's good quality? And we've posted some blogs on there because a lot of people feel that exact same way. I don't speak the language, so how am I going to know if that's good quality? But there are lots of tricky little background ways to do it that uh, we're continually talking to people about. But it sounds like you got good quality and we're able to teach uh, what you well, need to do. We always, what I always said, because we would get, we would see some products and the judges would go, the adjudication team would go like, no, like there's no way this could ever reach a global market. There is no way. So my philosophy was there's no such thing as no. We have to try. We have to write it down so carefully. And that was the thing I was most proud of, is that there was no such thing as no. I don't care how long our team has to spend on this. We need to make sure that whatever we're sharing with them, whatever we're, and sometimes we might have to even work on this with them to say, this is what needs to be done. See this thread, see this weaving, see this whatever it might be. And... And if they didn't want, then we'd have to be honest with them to say, you know, you're never going to get into Ikea or some other global, like, where do you want to eventually be in a different country? H&M for your clothing or where, or, or Saks Fifth Avenue, like, where's your market? What do you want? Right. And, or who do you want to do business with? Is it with, uh, is it with um, this bank or is it with this co uh, uh, communicate? Uh, telecommunications company, like, tell us where, what is it that you want to do? That's where the Grow Your Biz advisory boards come in. They must say, mm -hmm. who are they trying to reach first? Like, have in your mind, 
where do you want to take your business? That's interesting because that's what I was kind of stumped on. I'm like, how did people before there was the internet sell products like these? But it sounds like you help them get connections into the large retailers. (laughs) And you're, we give them, we give them the skills. We're not going to make that it's not about I will because we have too many people that we would be trying to deal with. But if we have connections, we can say, yes, you know, here's a person. Um, I have an example of someone who says I'm doing I'm trying to get I'm trying to find somebody who has made shampoos. I'll just use that as an example. Right. Okay. And I go, uh, do you know of anyone that has actually started a whole a skincare product where they're also at developing shampoos well maybe so we might check we might ask our network that but we don't guarantee it that's not what we say this is what you need to do first of all come up with the five main distributors or the actual retailers or the actual company that you want to eventually do business with they have to have that in their mind right? They're mm-hmm. making something. They're selling a service. It's like, I'm going to use you, Wendy, as an example. You're in global marketing. So what companies are you trying, would you want, who would be on your, your top five or 10 that you would love to do business with, right? Who are right. they? Right. Is it sales for, right? So they have to identify that. So that's where they have to be committed. I don't want to do startups. I'm, I'm past that. Right. That was what we did in the early 80s. That was what we did in the 80s and 90s when we were starting to put this whole like we went into. I don't care if you're under five thousand dollars. We don't do that anymore. Grow your business about what is it's almost a second stage of growth. Where are you at in your business and what's your growth? What is the two top things that you want to do for your growth strategy? And it might be, I want to build my business. So I go out of this, out of my own country. I try to do an internet. I'm going to want to do an international. And this is the country I'm thinking about. Might be the UK because I know we've got a trade agreement with them. It might be, right? Or I I just asked an interesting question on a podcast the other day. And they said, you know, if you had to recommend a country to go into, what would it be? And of course, it, and, and so my answer, of course, I danced around and I said, well, it depends on the product because it's very difficult and very unique. But if I presented that question to you, what, what would be some top countries you'd recommend? I would recommend the countries before I did my research to find out, do we, does our country have a trade agreement with them? Because that's going to be a plus, right? So why you know, I would, I would make sure that, and you have the same thing in the States. Uh, you have your wonderful um, woman that's working in, um, uh, in fact, I just listened to her the other, yes, two days ago, and her name, and if you don't have it, you should have it, Sandrine Rukundo, R-U-K-U-N-D-O. She is the U.S. Department of State the Secretary Office of Global Women's Issues. Amazing woman. Sandrine is spelled S-A-N-D-R-I-N-E. And the, the, um, the event that I was at, event, virtually event that I was at, was um, done by our council, by the U.S. Council General in Vancouver, Brent Hart, uh, and it was called Indigenous Women in Business. And she was representing the U.S., 
And the reason I'm bringing that up is that obviously for, Can for Canada, uh, so the first country I would be saying is US, then I would be saying, then I would say UK, then I would say Australia and New Zealand, because we have trade agreements, we have trade agreements with these countries. And it's for me, it's English speaking. So that would make a big difference. Right? <laughs> yeah. I've done my, my internet, right? But that doesn't mean to say I would stay, uh, you know, if I was asked to go back to, if India is great, to, I love India. Um, and we've been there five or six times, bringing groups from Canada there. Uh, but it will depend on where I want my growth to be. And where did I see the synergies? Right. So That's, I hear a lot of companies uh, from the U.S. that will pick those same countries just based on the English language. And I say, oh, do your market research first because a little investment in translation much, might have a much higher payoff. But I think you also had some markets that you wouldn't want to work in. Yes. And I think that's the Which last was? question before we, yeah, no, do you have, do you have countries that you wouldn't go into or wouldn't recommend North for Korea. people? North Korea. North Korea. Yeah. And I wouldn't go into China right now. Really? No, would not go into China right now. No, Why because, is that? What they, because they've changed. Five years ago, I would not have said that, but they have changed. The fact that we have two Canadians as hostages right now there, the two Michaels, right? I would not go there. I would be too afraid to go there. Huh. Okay. I would not. Yeah, so those would be the two top countries. Other than that, no. I mean, would I go into, you know, there are other countries that are danger countries, considered Nigeria, but that's not all of Nigeria. And right. I love the women there. Love them. Yeah. So it really depends. But it, as a whole, because of the things that I see them doing, uh, I would stay away from China. That's interesting. Okay. Because I know a lot of people do target China and still are having very good look with, with luck with it because just the rising affluence and the size of the market. And yeah. All right. But now I can switch it over to some personal questions because we could go on all afternoon, I think, with sure. your experience. So I, I always like to ask, what's your favorite foreign word? Chutzpah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, given it's Passover and Happy Easter right now, that's coming a long ways. Oh, that's yeah. a great one. Yeah, that's perfect. And why don't you give a definition for anybody listening that doesn't know? Well, it, uh, can I use a, 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 a not-so-nice word? Absolutely. Go heard, for it. Okay. So I heard the other day this term, badass, and I went, what does badass mean? <laughs> and because somebody, I, I said, what does badass mean? And I was in New York a year ago, or, well, just, I guess, 2019, when somebody said, oh, that woman's got badass. And I went, what? Is that, like, is that an insult? And they went, no, like, she's really got it. And I went, what? Like she's, well, the translation in, in uh, and it was a Jewish person, it would be chutzpah. And I went, ah, no, I get it. Badass is like chutzpah. chutzpah. So now it's sort of like, okay, I get that. So that's, that would be mine. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Yep, that is. And those are the kind of words that, that, that are difficult to translate. So how about your, um, your favorite vacation? Oh, that, that would be a good one. I think uh, New Zealand was fabulous. New Zealand was fabulous. That was solo. With my children, uh, Costa Rica mm. and Greece and definitely um, Hawaii. Nice. Yeah. I find anywhere with my kids is fun. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, for sure. How about a crazy cross-cultural experience you had in work? Oh, that would be Nepal, where I was, oh, I was driving home from a, from a, uh, whew, I was driving in a taxi, and our taxi was stopped. And I don't know why he used the back roads, but he did from a client meeting back to my hotel and we were stopped. And the next thing I know, there was a, there was a sol soldier on each side of our car with a gun pointing in. And I was the only one at the back of the car. I didn't know what was happening and I didn't know I couldn't understand what they were saying. I know that we should not have been there. And I was frightened that I would not, get out of that car alive. And so whatever the tech, whatever the driver did, it took about 10 minutes of some kind of negotiation, but that was frightening. That was a cross-cultural, is that what you mean by a cross-cultural experience? Yeah, absolutely. And that just goes to show if you don't know the language and you don't know the culture, you can get in a situation like that and be terrified. Totally frightening. Totally frightening. Yeah. So that was one. And the best one was seeing was being in um, Uganda, uh, and sorry, no, Rwanda. First was Uganda going to, through the uh, going on the rapids in the Nile, but the second one was in Rwanda. This was the best, and it was uh, Thursday evening, and all the IFC international finance people were going, and I was working with the mayor of Gagal, Gagali, and the first lady of of uh, Rwanda on a project, um, and. Everybody was leaving except for me on the weekend. And I went, oh, what am I going to do? And the mayor of Gagali said, well, why don't you go visit the gorillas of, of Rwanda? And I went, what? Can I do that? And she said, I'll, I'll arrange it. I'll arrange it. And so it was a miracle because it was like it takes years to get into that, right? And I was fortunate. I knew somebody. I got way. But I only had on... I only had on uh, my Lululemon black pads. I had just tiny runners. I didn't have, I wasn't equipped. And I had a Lululemon um, jacket on with a zipper and the hood, right? I had nothing else. And I went, is this okay? And they went, yeah, yeah, that's okay. So there were six of us that, eight of us, sorry, eight of us in our group. And we got trackers, et cetera, going all the way up. Anyways, when we got to see the Great Gahunda, and there was two two adolescent males, mother, a beautiful experience. But what happened was, and probably because I was dressed in black, my hair was all black and pushed back, all of a sudden a male gorilla came up to me and the next thing I know, his paw, I have pictures, his paw was on my shoulder. It's like King Kong. It was like everybody's stunned, everybody stopped. 
And I thought all it would take, and I could feel his breathing on my neck. I just stopped. I was so frightened. I was absolutely frightened. And one of the people that was in our tour was from Washington DC and he was a lawyer from the reconciliation for Rwanda law courts happening. He took note of it. He didn't take a picture. I was so bad after, but why did you take a picture of that? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I was frightened. I was always ready to pee my pants, right? And so then what happened is all of a sudden the trackers came and I thought, I have to say silent. You can't look back. You can't move. You can't do anything. You can't scream because I didn't want it all of a sudden bloodshed of these gorillas, right? And so stood still. And then the next thing I knew, uh, the, the trackers came and they were doing their clicking sound and trying to communicate because that's what they're trained to do, right? And so then the gorilla took his hand off, took his paw, his huge hand, like it just covered my whole shoulder. And I started to take two steps forward. And the next thing I knew, the gorilla grabbed my hoodie and pulled it. My zipper came all the way down. Thank God I had a little tank top underneath. He grabbed my hoodie and then I just, I just sat down on the grass. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I didn't, because he didn't, I, you know, I mean, then after I got teased, did he email you? Did he ask to take you out? I mean, it was just, it was a horrible experience, yet it was a life alternating experience for me because it was, uh, it was, I, yeah, I have the gorilla book that's done by one of the Warren, because Warren Buffett's son is the one that runs that particular sanctuary of the gorilla family. So I have all the names of the gorillas that was in, that we saw. Um, the babies were great, but it was the adolescent that there might've been a smell on me. There might've been the black on me. I don't know, but that was, that was a cross-cultural experience. <laughs> Talk and about up one, close and personal, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a beautiful experience, but it was frightening. Yeah. So you got enough. Yeah, you got a lot of stories there. Uh, yes, yes, I love it. I, I, I'm a little bit envious about the male gorilla and a little bit, oh, thank God it wasn't me. So I'm holding those, those two emotions as I listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> if this was visual, I'd show you the picture, right? But it's yeah. not visual. But it's one of those things where it was an amazing journey. And um, yeah, you know, you go up this big mountaintop and you pass, you, you pass uh, uh, gunk on the, on the grounds that is from a Cape Buffalo or an elephant. I was, I was more worried about snakes than anything. But knowing that I would see gorillas at the end of my long journey, because it starts at six in the morning and you go right through the day. By the time you trek and find the gorillas. Right. They, yeah. But it was, if anybody can, I think it's now, it's something like $500 a day at that time. And, um, but I don't know what it is now, but it takes, you have to put your name into a list that takes about, sometimes it's three years waiting list. Wow. All right, I got to get my it. name on the list. That sounds absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's a journey worth taking. I recommended it to several people, and they got on that list because that was 1995. I did that. No, okay, so you get it. So you search for Gorillas of Rwanda? Yeah, 2005, Gorillas of the Rwanda. Gorillas yeah. of the Rwanda. And because it's on the... 
it the place we went is exactly where Diana Foss is buried. You know the the remember the movie Diana Foss? No. Gorilla, yeah, it's uh, Gorillas in the uh, Mist. Yeah, Gorillas in the Mist. That's it. Yeah. So that was that is where we went. That oh my gosh. We okay, that's why it sounded familiar to me. Now I'm putting yeah, that's exactly where we were. And unfortunately, where we are on that border, Rwanda, is the Democratic Congo. And that's where the people are coming. You know, that's where the, the bad people are coming to kill the gorillas and take their hands and their head, you know, the yeah. different parts they want. And that's why there's, tra like it is, there's, the trackers are amazing. They are amazing. And, you know, they know the language of the gorillas and they communicate with them. And that's why. You know, you get you got told, don't don't look at them directly in their eyes. Don't take don't take flash pictures. You can take pictures, but don't put your flash on. Like, you know, you got to be respectful of everything they tell you before you make the journey up there. But it's so worth it. Yeah. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for talking us today. I mean, this has been fascinating to hear about. Uh, all the women around the world that have a home-based business and what they can do to actually grow international. And at this point, even using the internet, which can give them so much more visibility. So I, you know, I really appreciate your insight. My pleasure. And it's not just home-based businesses. It's really opened. And that's what virtual has done. It's opened it up to anyone who wants to do business. Just do your homework and follow those tips that we shared today. Right. Thank so where you, can Wendy. people? Yeah, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Uh, I would say uh, go to www.growyourbiz. Spell G R O, no W. Growyourbiz.com. And if you have a, uh, let me give you a bonus today. We are Great. in the process, yes, we are in the process of halfway through our Accelerate, so our Accelerate conference, which is Grow Your Biz with a Speed of Collaboration, was supposed to be last May 2020. Because of COVID, it had to be canceled as a live conference in Vancouver, BC, beautiful Pan Pacific. I had 30 women coming from Africa and all over the place, right? Because of COVID, we canceled it. So instead, Wendy, we changed it to Accelerate 2021 Grow Your Biz Global Virtual Summit Series. And we just did Humanizing Healthcare yesterday. And there are April and May sessions. There's about six more sessions. And if any of your callers want to send through you through you, I guess, let's do it that way. Let me can send it directly to me. It's up to you, though, if you want credit for it. Is that if I would be happy to consider giving them a comp ticket, which normally would be $250, uh, if they wanted to experience what Accelerate is all about. And um, the one yesterday was humanizing healthcare. And I had Dr. A Our U.S. speaker was Dr. Angela Marshall, who has to, who is phenomenal and she's all about doing, helping women in health and she's phenomenal. And uh, I met her from um, uh, a lovely woman by the name of Betty Hines, who's in Maryland and Women Elevating Women. 
And I just think that if some of your speakers are interested, then I can, they can see what our company does. So grow your business art. We do global virtual advisory board. So if they're, if they want to know on a month, it's a month to month basis, right? They pay for the year and they are part of an advisory board that meets every month. Um, and they have a chair, a very talented chair who are all entrepreneurs and they go through their growth strategies, right? That's what it's about. And so sometimes I have somebody from Netherlands who's a translation person in languages with somebody from Canada, with someone from the U S with some, right. So we mix groups up because everybody's virtual now. Right. Right. So you could be in a group with somebody from Australia, depending on the time zone, right. Depending on the time zone, but, but part of what grow your biz does, we offer every two years, we offer a major conference, which is called accelerate. And that is the accelerate conferences that I'm, that's on right now, because we went from, we said, you know what, I can't do a two and a half day virtual conference. So I will split it up over four months. So we start at February 26. We've done March. The next one will be April and May and the finale will be May 26. So we just said, let's do it differently. So that's, if anybody's interested, go to grow your biz dot com and reach out directly to Barbara Mowat and she can get you um, the comp ticket to attend and if you're interested in doing one of the uh, of her virtual peer-to-peer uh, -peer networking groups with uh, people internationally uh, certainly reach out to her so I appreciate you tuning in to listen today um, it is to the Global Marketing Show podcast. It's uh, very interesting to get all this experience. Uh, so if you know somebody that might be interested or is starting a business and could use some of this advice, um, she really did walk us through the steps to do it. So we'll see you next time um, when we come back and do our next episode. Thanks so much for listening. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.